Welcome to Moments That Matter, a podcast that looks at the moments in our lives that come along from time to time that have consequences long after the moment, especially those moments that have to do with the choice of vocation. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation, Parker Palmer speaks of a clearness committee in the Quaker tradition, wherein a group of older, wiser people ask questions of someone considering a life choice as a way of clarifying the next step. We may not meet with a committee about these big decisions, but we all have these critical junctures in our lives which we can think of as clearness committee moments. We need to pay attention to these moments because they are profound and potentially life-altering. We will relay stories from our lives and interview others about theirs especially noting the Clearness Committee moments, those we chose to recognize and those that were sadly ignored, those decisions that were made with God in mind, and those that were not. Our hope is that these podcasts will cause you to think of the same kind of moments in your life with new clarity. Today we have the honor and the joy of talking to Gina Thomas. She is an author, a mother, a kindred spirit, and just released her newest book, which is Separated by the Border. Uh, birth mother, foster mother, and a migrant child's 3,000-mile journey. Thank you, Gina, for being here with us today. Your book was released not very long ago. What's been the reaction? Yeah, it was released October 29th, um, and it's been pretty positive so far. So it's been really cool to get uh, a lot of messages from a lot of different kinds of people um, that have resonated with the book. It's been really enjoyable to hear. There's certainly always people who don't like what you do, so... (laughs) So there's those people too, and that's okay. Um, but it, yeah, it's been really good. And, and um, especially I think a lot of people who are kind of on the outskirts of evangelicalism have um, responded positively, especially to the NPR uh, interview. So that's been really encouraging too. Yeah, you've done several of those now, haven't you? Couple, yeah. Yeah, incredible. So for those who don't know about, this book was more than just... Um, uh, theoretical posture. It was more than just an argument from a theological perspective. It was such an incredibly touching personal story. For those who probably haven't heard, could you give us a quick three-minute synopsis of uh, what led you to write this book? Sure. Um, well, my husband, Andrew, and I, we became foster parents in October of 2017. And about that same time, there was a family making their way up from Honduras um, through Mexico and trying to get to the border and into the United States uh, in order to get some money for their family. One of their family members had some, some pretty big medical issues, and they were trying to get money for that. Um, so about February uh, of 2018, the little girl from this family um, ended up in our home as a foster daughter, and um, we found out more and more about the story behind how she had even arrived in our county, um, and then heard more about her separation first from her biological mother, um, from the smugglers who had taken um, the mother as a hostage, um, and then she was separated by the U.S. government from her stepdad um, at the border, probably because of zero tolerance policy. We're not 100% sure. Um, so really it was just, um, the story of the mother, um, and then, you know, the little girl's story, Julia, uh, and then it was a a lot of my story and my family's story as well. So, um, I had lived in Honduras and my family and I had lived in Mexico. And so it was interesting to kind of see our journeys kind of parallel, um, you know, Honduras, Mexico, and then the United States. So. Incredible. You wrote, in the book, uh, a lot more backstory that kind of led you to this point of being a foster parent. 
Um, what were the big yes moments to fostering that led you to this uh, encounter with Julia? Yeah, um, I think, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of times it takes us a while before we get to say yes, right? So I think there were several no moments before getting to those yes moments. Um, uh, when I first heard about fostering, I was like, nope, not happening. Um, when, you know, people talk about how you end up having to, you know, allow the child to go back to their family, um, a lot of people are like, nope, not going to do that, not going to commit to that. And so it really took a while of like recognizing that there are, there were these moments of saying no and no, and then recognizing like, why am I saying no to this? Um, and really the motivation behind saying no to foster care was this idea of, of wanting to possess children. And I think it's a really um, big idol in a lot of our lives. And it was one that I had to lay down. Um, and so as our family decided, you know, we were trying to adopt in Mexico and that didn't work. Um, and really I'm, I'm honestly very grateful it didn't work. Um, because I started to think through like, why are we willing to take care of kids from another culture, but not willing to see, you know, the vulnerable children in our own. And so that really tuned us into foster care. And it was just, it was just really hard to say no after that. Um, yeah. And as you got kind of deeper into Julia's story and also her mother's, um, there was obviously a lot of trauma that was uncovered um, that you had to deal with personally. And there is this thing uh, called secondary trauma uh, stress. And if I could read a definition real quick, the emotional duress that results when an individual hears about the firsthand trauma experiences of another. So um, I guess you could be free ranging in the answer to this. Um, basically, how did you deal with that? And also, how do you kind of balance, you know, not going off the deep end either way, either succumbing to that stress or just not caring? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I think I'm living in that tension right now, even still. Um, I deal with it by going to therapy. <laughs> um, and yeah, there's, there are definitely times when, you know, throughout the book's process where some of that was harder to handle than other times, you know, when you're writing a book, you got to edit it and you have to reread, you know, if, if you've read the book, chapter three is really, really tough. And so have to reread that over and over again to deal with the grammatical errors and all that fun stuff. And so um, during that time, it was, it was extra challenging. Um, I think for me, it was uh, recognizing that there are moments where it's okay to turn off the news and to um, turn off Twitter or whatever else and, and, you know, not fully consume myself with everything that was going on at the border at the time, because this one was so deep and so heavy on me. Um, I definitely still think I have some of those things. And I want to be careful in saying that because I think there's certainly this, this other tension of white privilege that we have to turn off the news. Right. Um, and it's easy to just say, well, there's too much going on in the world. I just don't want to even hear any of it. Um, so it's certainly living in a tension. And I think, um, one of the things that I'm learning about this, uh, this walk with Christ is that it's, it's really about walking those tensions and most of the time not doing it necessarily well or not feel like we're doing it well, but to understand that living in the tension is part of, part of the walk of faith um, and that it's okay to mess up sometimes. It's okay to 
go off the deep end sometimes one way or the other, or to become a hermit sometimes like, but you get back up and, and you trust Christ that he's going to walk through it with you. He's always in the mud with us. Um, I think he's often more in the muddy water than he is on the side that where it's safe. So um, just keeping that in mind, I think through the process and surrounding myself with people who a are therapists or understand trauma, right. Or, um, and just good friends who know how to ask good questions. Mm-hmm. That's so good. You, you talk about uh, process and this book was great because it sort of took the reader on a long journey from earlier on in your life until uh, these events transpired. And I, I really like what you included earlier in the book in a letter to Maria when you were in Honduras the first time. I think one of the most amazing qualities about God is that we find him wherever we are. How have you found him in maybe newer or more unique ways through this process, not just of, of engaging with Julia and her time here, but also maybe even in writing the book and meeting the people that you've met since that time? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, think, I think there's a lot of deconstruction that goes on and has gone on um, with me because of, because of the story and because of even the secondary trauma. Um, I think it's it's a lot of recognizing who Jesus isn't, who Christ isn't, and, um, you know, we as much as I have always believed in who I think God is, right? Um, there are definitely things um, unconsciously that have taught me that God is triumphalistic or God is Santa Claus or God is, you know, all these different things that, that even though I would reject it with my mouth, um, I still believed it in my heart. And so I think even now I'm, I'm still deconstructing some of that, um, that process and really starting to see, you know, God as a migrant mother or God as a child or, um, or God as, um, you know, someone who just sits with you and cries and not necessarily someone who tells you the answers to the life's problems. Um, and so recognizing and understanding God in that way is, um, is growing up the way that I had, it's a very challenging thing to do because, um, you know, God isn't this like, what we imagine the king of kings, right? Who's all powerful and all knowing and who can accomplish anything that you want him to. And not that he's not that person, but he's also this very humble child who comes to earth in a 15 year old virgin. Right. And so like, there's these two aspects of who God is. And so trying to really see a bigger picture of the whole picture of who God is and understanding that um, just because I don't feel like I hear him or um, sense an answer to an issue Um, that doesn't mean that he's not here, that he's here even when I can't experience him or can't put my finger on the experience. Um, So yeah, does that answer the question? Yeah, so good. So um, as you journeyed with um, Julia being with your family and then ultimately this amazing opportunity to go down to uh, see her home and to take Mm -hmm. her uh, to her home where she came from, what were some, take us back to that day, what were some of the emotions that were going on and sort of this full circle picture of restoration at the end of a long and uncertain journey? Yeah. Um, so we arrived at an air, the airport. It was about two and a half, three hours away from where they lived. And um, so we knew that we would see her mom at the airport. We didn't know if we would see anyone else, but her mom, um, called us on the phone and was like, yeah, we're five minutes away. And 
that kind of turned into 35 minutes and you know it's not that big of a deal when you think about Lat latino culture but um when it, you've you, you know you've waited four full months for this like moment to happen it's like oh where are you um so every car that pulled up we're like you know scouring down like is that them are we you know are we finally here we made it and um so there were several different cars that pulled up and we we're trying to find you know if it was her and finally she she arrives and comes running out and um, Julia was standing next to me and kind of jumping up and down and almost um, groaning in a way that like I had never heard her groan before. She was just so excited to see her mom and she looked up, up at me and was like, can I go to her? And I was like, of course, of course, you know, and I've got my, my telephone because I'm trying to video this at the same time and like experience it, but also like bring that experience back to people. And um, so she, so, uh, Lupe runs up the stairs and then Julia kind of meets her at the top of the stairs outside of the big automatic doors and um, they just like engulf each other. Um, and if you knew Julia, you would understand how big of a deal it was that she did not leave her mom's lap the whole ride home. Like this is a girl that does not stop moving and does not stop talking. And you know, like she, she is constantly just like full of sass and full of life. Right. Um, can't stay still and so for her to just sit on her mom's lap the whole ride home was was a pretty big deal but it was really cool to to sit in the car next to her mom and um and talk talk to her on the way home and her mom even in that moment um was um she's always had Lupe has always had just this really amazing perspective I think and um even in that moment she said we just buried um a neighbor's son um, and you know, here I am and I get to experience this joy because my, my daughter has returned to me. Um, but, uh, you know, our community is mourning the loss of this 18 year old who just recently died and this mom never gets to see her son again. Um, and so, you know, even that, like the tension that she lives in constantly of like, this is, this is bringing life to her, but she knows that there, there are hard things all around her and, and all around her community. And so just to, understand that like tethered joy that she has was, was a really beautiful moment too. And you uh, deeply connected with Julia's mother uh, along the process and became actually great friends, I think. Um, and I think it, you had some revelations kind of about not only mothering, you know, from your perspective, um, but also uh, kind of how universal that is and even how that involves God. Um, and so I, I just wanted to, uh, if I could read really quickly, um, this is just some uh, like pictures that we have in the Bible of God. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it talks about God in the Old Testament as a bear robbed of her cubs, uh, a mother comforting her child, a woman nursing a baby, and in the New Testament, Jesus, who is the second person of the Trinity and equal with God, uh, likens himself to a hen um, trying to gather up these chicks. And so there's this really strong picture of, if you will, the feminine nature of God. And so could you talk a little bit about that and kind of all, you know, your realizations about all of that? Sure. Yeah, um, don't want to get y'all in trouble, but <laughs> um, no, I, I can get myself in trouble on this topic. Um, you know, it's interesting just uh, just kind of growing up in, you know, white evangelicalism as I have. And, and um, see, even though I grew up in a church that was egalitarian, it's, um, it's interesting how often the, the patriarchy kind of 
controls the narrative of who God is and how um, we accept the idea that God is a him. Mm-hmm. Um, but when someone says God is she, that it's, you know, it's heretical. Um, I, I have a blog post that kind of explains exactly my thoughts on this stuff, but I do think that I don't think that God has a gender, but I do think that we can understand God better by um, recognizing the different qualities within genders. Um, and so I feel like this book really showed me again, God as a migrant mother and what, um, what, you know, when it talks about in Romans eight, that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Um, I've never thought about that in such a deep and profound way before now having understood, um, what this mother had been through, um, you know, literally had been through hell in Mexico and was willing to risk going through it again, um, to get to her daughter. And so that tenacious love that, um, really is incomprehensible, um, is just a beautiful picture of of who God is and that, that God, um, there is a very, very powerful force. And and this is something that I learned just in having other um, foster kids in our home. There's a very powerful force between a biological mom and, and her child, um, regardless of what happens after they give birth, right? Um, That force is strong and it's very deep. And I think that um, when we can kind of come to understand that a little bit more, we have a better sense and a deeper sense of what God's love really is for us. And that he would be, or she would be willing to go through hell, um, to bring us into, into their family. Um, and, and really that's, that's what the cross did, right? It was, it was God going through hell to bring us into his family. And so to get an actual, um, real life example, modern example of what that is has been very profound for me. And I think will stay with me the rest of my life. Yeah, that's incredible. You were talking about, um, early in the book about becoming a mother while you're in Mexico and what a profound change that that brought. And then uh, going through these um, encounters of just tremendous motherhood moments, has that changed you as a mother now? Yeah, I think it has. I, um, um, I think it will continue to do so. Um, Certainly understanding um, how easy it is to take for granted the presence of my child, right? Uh, my children. Um, you know, I, I'm an introvert and so I like my alone time. So sometimes I'm like, please get away from me right now. I just need to be alone. Um, but to, to understand that, you know, especially living in a country that has, has forcibly taking, taken children away from their parents, not just during zero tolerance, but we have a long history of it. Um, with many different um, scenarios. And so um, I think that realization has been quite huge and that, you know, at, at trying to really imagine what would it be like for someone to take my child away from me um, is, is really deep and profound and certainly changes one's perspective on, on not taking for granted um, your children and the presence and in, in, in your life and, you know, especially when they're younger, it's just hard. Like life is just hard (laughs) with little kids. And so, um, you know, everyone who's older says like, don't take it for granted. It goes away quickly. And I'm like, uh, nope, not going away quickly. It's like, this is long and, and arduous. Um, but yeah, seeing the other side to that, even in the midst of, um, you know, having little kids, I think is super important. And, and just, just recognizing that again, that bond is so strong. Um, and I think when we 
uh, as a nation forcibly take children away from their parents. It's not just, it's not just inhumane. Um, it's, it's cutting, cutting some kind of spiritual tie that we really have no right cutting. Um, yeah. In the uh, sort of tone of that, what would be your counsel for Christians here in the Western world that sometimes uh, seek to be immune from the issues that we find uh, in the world, especially at our southern border? What would be a few points of wisdom that you would give to our Christian community that sometimes ignores what's going on? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, um, you know, a lot of times we talk about how we are pro-life, right? And I think that um, as, as Christians, I fully do believe that, and I believe in that. Um, I, I do think that we truncate that term, though, to mean one thing, uh, to mean anti-abortion. And I think there's a whole slew of other issues that should be falling under that category. Um, we also talk about how we're pro-family, and um, for me, zero tolerance was an opportunity for us as Christians to really prove we're pro-family, um, so much so that we're, you know, calling our senators and, and telling them that this is not okay, and getting um, as much active as we can uh, fighting against this, this very evil thing. Um, so I think it's important for us to pay attention to what's going on at the border. I mean, children are still being separated. Um, and, and I think that, uh, as much as we can, you know, whether it's getting involved in a way that's actually, you know, active and we're there, um, there are other ways to get involved too. And, and part of that is starting with our language, you know, not calling people illegals. Like that's, that's inhumane to do. I really do believe that. Um, and, and just recognizing the little tiny steps that we take, the subtle ways that we dehumanize other people, I think is really important, especially if we're pro- pro-life, right? If we're pro-life, then we're pro-humanity. And so that means we see the, the Imago Dei in every human being. Um, and, and in order to do that, we've got to, we've got to start using the right language. We've got to stop letting other people say things that they shouldn't be saying. Um, and, and really as much as we can, we need to be involved in some kind of pro-life activity. I think that's, that's a calling that we all have, whether it's in immigration or racism or, um, you know, a slew of other, uh, of other possibilities. That's good. Also there at the end of your book, you mentioned the idea of lament and you even lamented throughout the book several times. How, how do we as Christians lament well, lament proactively, lament in a sort of godly way? Yeah. Um, I think that um, Sung Chen Ra has a wonderful book called Prophetic Lament that every Christian should read. Um, and, and in it, he talks about how 30% of, of the Old Testament is lament. And that's not something that we often talk about. It's not something we often do. I mean, even if you look at our worship songs, typically, um, they're all very triumphalistic. Um, and I think that's kind of, you know, what I was talking about before in this whole like bigger concept of who God is, it's easier for us to see God as um, King or Santa Claus or, you know, all these other things that, you know, some of them are right and some of them are good and some of them aren't, but it's easier, easier for us to see that aspect of God because we don't lament. And so it's harder for us to see the God who's sitting in the mire, right? The God who is sitting with us in the pit and saying, we're gonna, it's okay. We're going to cry. And that's all we're going to do right now. And there's, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I think uh, Grisel Medina, who's quoted in the book, talks a lot about how 
you know, we need to make space in our churches for, for ugly cries, right? And for us to, to be okay with the ugliness that's within us. Um, and I think that's something that we, um, we don't do. And, it, and it, I don't know that it's going to come to us naturally. I think we have to be very intentional about making those spaces and, and recognizing that, you know, even when stuff happens in our country, like, for example, when um, another black uh, a man is shot by a police, um, it's easy for Christians to turn off the sounds of the mother because the mother is angry or cussing or whatever. And, and we just are like, nope, we can't listen to that. Well, no, like we need to, we need to listen to that. We need to imagine what it's like and we need to be okay with the cuss words that come out because those are real and they're truth um, in that moment for that person. And really, I just don't believe anymore that God is afraid of our cuss words or afraid of our humanity or afraid of you know, the things that are real. Now, there are times when we don't need to be cussing. Like, I'm, I'm not saying, like, let's just all go cuss. But I'm saying, like, let's be real about how we're feeling about things and not just assume that God can't handle the authenticity that comes from deep pain and deep sorrow. So the three of us have not only visited other countries, but uh, lived overseas. And uh, in my case, it was Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I ran into a metaphor uh, about Americans that I would love to get a, resp a response. <laughs> um, so this is actually from a Ukrainian. And he said that Ukrainians are like pineapples and Americans are like unripe peaches. Hmm. And Ukrainians are like this prickly fruit on the outside that looks like, oh, I don't want to go near that. But then once you get into it, it's sweet. Hmm. But Americans are fuzzy and soft on the outside, but they're hard on the inside. Hmm. Wow. I I think that uh, I think that that's correct when we're talking about white Americans, especially white Christian Americans. I'm not sure it's the case when we're talking about Latino Americans or African Americans. Yeah. I, I do see that. Um, and certainly in, you know, in our Christian circles too, it's, it's very, especially in the South, right? Especially in the South. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm originally from the North. So um, uh, yeah, it's, it's this like idea that, you know, we're going to be wonderful and sweet to each other's faces and then not really care when something big goes wrong. And sadly, I've heard a lot of stories of people who quit going to church after they've gone through something really heavy because the church didn't know how to support them in it. Um, and I think that should grieve all of us. I think we should all be lamenting that. So do you think that, um, kind of what's happening at the border right now is kind of one symptom of that? Hmm. Potentially. Um, you know, it's interesting that, that we allow what's happening at the border, uh, and by we, I mean, generally, um, there's definitely a lot of Christians, um, Catholic and Protestant, who are doing a lot of work at the border. Um, but I would say, like, the the bigger voices um, are not really talking about it. And so it's interesting, though, that we are very willing to um, send ourselves overseas for 10 days um, and, you know, work with these same people and love them, right? Let's love on them. Um, mm -hmm. But then when they're coming here... Mm -hmm. where's that love like it's it's not it's certainly not unconditional love that's for sure so um i think i think there's a lot of 
uh, truncated versions of the gospel. And, and I think we're seeing a lot of that, the, the branches of that kind of come out in the past, mm -hmm. I don't know, 10 years or so. Okay. So. And uh, has there been kind of a clearness committee mo moment <laughs> for you uh, in terms of your understanding of the immigration issue? Hmm. Um, I would say that, uh, you know, for our family, we, we were aware um, of things that were happening at the border, especially um, especially when the, the most recent president got in office because we had a lot of friends in Mexico. Um, you know, we, we lived there for four and a half years. And so a lot of our friends are like, how can you guys elect this person? Because based on what he is saying about, you know, Mexicans in general. Um, so we were certainly aware of it. Um, I think that, you know, once Julia came in and maybe, maybe this is where it might flip the clearness committee a little bit on the head, but uh, when Julia came in to our home, it was an automatic, like, well, got to figure this out. Got to know what's going on. You know, like, why did this even come here? And so sometimes it is the child that leads us right into understanding better and, and giving us the wisdom of what, um, probably what we needed to see all along and what was always there all along, but we hadn't opened our eyes to it. So, um, it really was that. And then of course, hearing more and more Lupe's story was really just, a. Uh, um, you know, it's, it's its own horror of it in itself as a personal story. But when you start to realize that this is a systemic issue and this is not just her story, I mean, certainly her story is her story. Um, but there are tons of other stories like this and, and just the many ways that women especially are treated on their trip up, um, mm -hmm. is just really, really horrifying, um, lamentable and, and really, um, I, I really do believe it grieves the heart of God. Uh, your book is just a true gift to the body of Christ, the gift to the universal church. It is such um, an awesome picture, I think, into God's heart and sort of a, an expansion to his identity. Um, so you've written this book. You've recently moved. What's next in the chapter of your family? Um, we're chilling out. <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're here. We're, um, we've been in Tennessee now about a year and kind of learning how to just be a family of four. Um, it, it takes a while. Uh, you know, we were only foster, we were only a foster family for about nine months, but um, I think it, it takes a while to, to really kind of process everything that had happened. We had three different girls in our home and, and just really heavy stuff that we walked through. So um, we don't know, we don't know what's next. We've talked about maybe uh, fostering again. We've talked about adopting, um, but at this point in time, it's kind of like that the, the whole book talks about like just sitting still without answers, you know, it's kind of what it feels like right now. It's just mm. not knowing what's next. Um, but just, you know, being faithful and, and where we're at and we're really lucky to be uh, a part of a, a really great church um, that has felt like home from the moment we stepped foot in it. And so that's been wonderful and encouraging. Um, and then I, I have a job that I get to, get to do a lot of really awesome work and use my master's degree. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Um, finally get to use it. Um, so that's been really enjoyable. Um, yeah, but just, just learning to sit still and to be okay with, you know, no movement. And as someone who likes to have adventures, you know, sometimes this is harder, right? So. So much harder, honestly. Yeah. Um, 
before we go, uh, thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing your heart, for allowing us to chat with you a bit. Um, what's the best way for people to find you? Social media, website, where to get your book? Yeah. Um, Twitter is probably the best. I'm often on there the most. It's, uh, my handle is at Gina L. Thomas and G-E-N-A. Um, I just got off Instagram cause I'm trying to declutter my life. So <laughs> don't find me there. I won't be, I won't respond. Um, and then Facebook as well. Um, the website is just Gina Um, and yeah, you can find all the information there where to get the book and all that stuff. But books on book is anywhere that you can find books. So if you prefer, I would love for you to buy it from your independent bookstore, but you know, there's Amazon too. So <laughs> <laughs> that works. That's perfect. Thank you so very much. Lord bless you and everything you have ahead. And uh, we so appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.